I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Self-Build Podcast, where we explore all things home building and home improving in Ireland on both sides of the border. I'm Astrid Matson, your host and the editor of Self-Build Magazine. This episode, I caught up with John Corliss at Self-Build Life Belfast to walk us through the process of building a new home in Ireland. John is the host of the Self-Build Life Bootcamp and Ireland's leading independent self-build advisor. He is, in fact, in the process of writing a book about this very topic. Well, the first place I would look in terms of a site is the solar diagram of the site, the path of the sun. Well, it's not really the path of the sun. It's the path of the earth around the sun. And I would see and envisage where the sun would be at different times of the day. And if that uh, site then had plenty of light from the south and from the west and no obstructions, particularly in the west, because the sun is higher in the sky when it's at the south. So if there is uh, obstructions to the south, they're not as much of a problem as from uh, obstructions to the west. Otherwise, you'll have your sunset much earlier than everybody else will <laughs> around the place. Um, other considerations with the site are uh, the land use around the area. If it's a one-off house out in the country area, there will probably be farmland nearby. Um, if it's a site that's for sale and adjacent to it is a farm, has the guy built his farm buildings or is he a young farmer that mightn't have built his farm buildings yet and if he hasn't where is he likely to build them is he going to be likely to build them possibly in the future up near your site whereas if he has that in uh, there already it's unlikely that he's going to start adding to that or sorry if he does any further development it will be added to where he, he or she has that and not perhaps near your site boundary other things to consider are general accessibility to the site, um, services, schools, um, the nearest shop, post office, all sorts of things like that, broadband in the area, how good and how reliable is the electricity supply in the area because with um, electric vehicles we'll need more and more power than we needed before. So areas that have 
power outages frequently it's just a little thing to consider but it's the sort of thing that people don't think of until the power is out and they can't recharge their car another thing is the resellability of the house um, everybody when they start to build a house believe that it's going to be the house and that they'll never move from this house they'll be carried out of this house in a box whatever but we also think the same thing about marriages and partnerships and everything like that but the truth and the reality of it is that sometimes it doesn't work out and for whatever reason the house mightn't work out either so if you have decided to build some obscure design in an obscure place you might end up with something that you cannot sell even pretty much cannot give away now um you'll find it hard to perhaps to mortgage that but not with to get a mortgage in the first place for that but notwithstanding that um it's something to be to take into account as well if things don't work out here will i be able to sell this house or will i get hammered when i try to sell it and again as i say nobody ever thinks that way or whatever but the truth is out there <laughs> and it does happen from time to time uh, the topography of the site, the, the site as well, the ground, the type of ground that's there. Some types of ground are notoriously expensive to build on. You can spend half the budget trying to get out of the ground. Other sites are very good, good ground. Um, you could ask to do a trial hole or an inspection of the site before you buy it. If they're not inclined to let you do that, oftentimes the type of vegetation that's on the ground will tell you what type within the soil is holding water or it has good drainage and another uh, one to check is place names old irish place names village names townland names or whatever um the most common village name in the south is ballyglass which is on ballyglass the green v uh, village or the green field or whatever that indicates that um th that is good ground in perhaps an area around it where it stands out um, there's other words like Clune which is a very common south of Ireland and Northern Ireland name but Clune is meadow, it's the Irish for meadow so meadow ground is usually pretty good ground um, Gorth, that word uh, is um, a rougher type of a field than a clune. So village names and townland names can give you an indication of topography or type of soil that's there or whatever. But generally, if you're going to build, you want good ground because the energy in the good it will be there in the good ground as well. Okay. So um, there's just some of them. Yeah. And in terms of um, getting planning permission, is there anything you can check for? First, you mentioned percolation. In the south of Ireland, it is... Uh, for rural one-off houses it's very very difficult to get planning permission you have to prove a housing need so if you already have a house the argument of the uh, planners would be well you have a house you don't need a house go away or um, if you uh, are moving to the area to avoid holiday homes and that type of thing you have to prove a strong connection with the area which can be that you're from there and you've just got a job there or whatever something like that so those are just things to, cons to consider another thing is to look at the laneway or the access road or whatever it is and see what's built on it and see how long you can visually tell how long a house is there if it's something that there was no houses built on this road since the 1970s, the reason might be that you cannot get planning permission on it, which might indicate why the site was so cheap. Um, but the, the, the advisable thing always is to buy the planning, buy the site subject to getting planning permission on it. Right, okay, yeah, that saves your hassle. Yeah. 
Okay, so you have the site now. Um, so what's the first step? The next step then is to get an ideas notebook. An ideas notebook is a small little book that you can carry around in the top pocket of your shirt. If it's an A4 pad with a hard cover, you won't bring it around with you. You bring the ideas notebook everywhere with you, including to bed. Yeah, especially or in the bathroom. <laughs> or in the bathroom. <laughs> but you bring it everywhere. And when you see something you like or see something you don't like or you think of something, make a note of it in the ideas notebook. But it's important to have that with you at all times, I think. The next thing then is to transfer that into a file on your computer, a Word document or whatever on your computer. And that will inform, first of all, I, a lot of architects that I talk to and people will, will tell you that people come to them, they don't know what they want, but they know what they don't want. Usually he or she has drawn it before they realise no, this is not what we want at all. So a lot of time and, and energy and effort and money is spent trying to find out what is it that we want. So I always say, make a list. Make a list. Everything that you like, put it on the list. And when you're getting nearer the time then to talk to an architect, prioritise that list into needs, wants and desires. So we absolutely need the following things. Mm -hmm. We want the next section. And if there's money left then, or if it can be done, we'd like some of these things as well. And that <coughs> will inform you, because most people really don't, aren't sure what they want. The immediate need might be a house because they have to move out of the house they're in. So that need is shelter. They might be in a house where they don't need to move out of it and they want to upgrade. So the need of the second party there is totally different to the need of the first one. But I think before you can inform an architect or a designer, you need to know yourself what it is you want, what it is you don't want, and the things that you do want, prioritize them into needs, wants, and desires. I, wouldn't, I would strongly recommend that people would not design the house themselves. They would not start drawing themselves. They hand the list to an architect. An architect is somebody who is trained and qualified to design a house. We would never think of doing brain surgery on a loved one. Um, yet, if you watch on television, which is the only access most of us get to brain surgery, they have <laughs> scissors and needles and almost household things. <laughs> and you think, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But it's, you're laughing because it's absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Yet we think we can design a house. The biggest single investment we will ever make in our lives. The only thing that we have in common with the architect is that the finished product for both of us would be some form of a neat arrangement of lines on a page. But out from that, there's no similarity. So a good, proper, qualified and trained architect will be aware, first of all, of the whole concept of living and space and spatial needs and adding to the people's lives. It's not just about a house. It's about a lifestyle. Now, some of them get self-indulgent self and come up with absurd um, expensive. Uh, 
elevations or whatever <coughs> and others have a particular style that they follow or whatever but at least they have gone through a training and qualification process to get to that whereas the majority of the rest of us don't have that unless we're an, an unemployed uh, fully qualified architect <laughs> who happens to be working in the local Chinese takeaway or whatever it is but generally <coughs> so that's something I would strongly advise people to do to make the list so that they know themselves what they want give that list to the architect prioritised and then when the architect hands them back the drawings but the architect just to stop you there for a second does does it have to be an architect can it be an engineer can it be an architectural technologist well an engineer is uh, an architect is more the artist yeah. It's the difference between the two. People regularly confuse the two. They say, well, the architect is <coughs> doing X, Y, and Z or whatever. And then when you go and talk to the architect, he's actually an engineer or she's an engineer. Similarly, the reverse is the case. People call architects engineers, whatever. But they're two totally different things. Engineers look at the structural uh, issues and architects look at the design concepts. Loads of engineers cross over and do Art, uh, architecture work but I would always go with an architect and how I about architectural technologists they're trained in the same way as architects they are, they're not as qualified as the architect is an architectural technologist is a lower level of qualification I than don't know if you could say that to an architectural technologist well, <laughs> yeah. maybe but that's not it but I think that's what it is yeah, yeah I think the chartered guys uh, yeah. are trained quite yeah. uh, extensively but definitely an architect and <coughs> I think as well that you should look around at what architects have designed around the place yeah. or in the area. And sometimes, you see, in, in the South particularly, the whole thing about getting a house built is so dependent on planning permission that it, that uh, outweighs everything else in the whole process. That should only be a m small box ticking point now planners won't like to hear me saying that but that is how I view it that the whole thing should be about the suitability of the house for the people that are going to live in it and the site on which it is and planning permission should only be one small part of that 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 okay we've got to do this in a way that it complies with planning permission in the same way that when we go to build it we it has to meet the building regulations in the same way that when we drive to it we have to meet the motoring laws and wear a seatbelt and not go over the speed limit and things like that. But it shouldn't be the overwhelming thing that it has and the dominant thing that it has become. So for me, an architect who has a good track record of house design, not necessarily an architect so who has a good relationship with the planner. But... Right. Okay. So you're saying that kind of there's not great quality buildings out there and it's because of the planning process. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Where? <laughs> where <laughs> did I say not. that? <laughs> <laughs> Point to me where I said that. No, no, well, no, absolutely not at all. But I think that we have drawn the things ourselves. We have got the cheapest person around to draw the thing because... Because they're friends with the planner. Yes, they're, they're friends with the planner or they're friends with ourselves. Or we'll do it as a part-time thing and we'll give them a smaller fee. And the value of design is not fully appreciated. And the problem is that today the building regulations and going forward are so demanding 
that it is beyond just a few neat lines on the page. The path of the sun, solar gain, designing the house in a way that you never need to put the electric light on during the day. This is one of the things I have been mentioning here. If you have to switch the light on inside in the house during the day, that is a design flaw. Yeah. Now, a good architect will know all that. They will know window sizes. They will know that this, at a certain time of the day, the sun will be at a certain angle there. So we don't want to go too high with that window or we need to go X high with it or whatever. Yeah. This is what you're paying for. And the ordinary person who isn't trained in that isn't aware of that until such time as either the house is unbearably hot or the house is unbearably uh, cold. Yeah. But it might look nice. Yeah. <laughs> But, but totally what's, impractical. But what's the issue with the the planning system then? What's your what's your beef with the planners? I have none at all. <laughs> it is a very necessary process. Because it's and normal it c- that there be zoning laws and that you have Absolutely. to comply no, with what they there's say. No pro- I have no problem so with any of what's that. The issue? That is a very necessary part of the yeah. process. And it regulates and controls that. I have no problem at all with that. But historically, historically, people have gone to engineers, architects, draftspeople, uh, architectural technologists, pretty much anyone, sometimes drawing teachers that taught in the schools who did this at weekends for themselves. They have gone to those people, not because of their ability to design the space we're going to live in, but because of their relationship with the planner. And the planner, the planning thing became the bottleneck rather than it being just what we have designed this house which is suitable for our needs which will be economical to operate which will have value it will add value to our lives and we're now going to go to the planners with that and argue our case and defend our case about why we want to do it that way rather than just going with some sort of a compromised design yeah you're somebody going to the planners yes. already with a design yes. you know is compromised yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> what's uh, what's the deal with um, kind of designing for budget? Because you obviously okay, that was the next thing I was going to talk to about. Yeah. There is that um, once that list is compiled, people need to start talking to mortgage advisors unless they have the money themselves. And even if they have the money themselves, it's still no harm to talk to a mortgage advisor to see um, uh, because the mortgage advisors will tell you if you can afford to build this or if you have to sell it if somebody else will be able to afford to to buy it because there's no point in well there isn't I won't say there's no point but there's a risk that if you build something using either a very unusual building uh, method or something that is absolutely huge that you'll end up in the phrase that was very popular for a number of years negative equity because there is there is what I would call a ceiling value of properties in an area. So if you spend more than that or end up with a lot more than that spent on building your house, you if you go to sell it, then we're back to the issue of never being able to sell it or never being able to get our money back or whatever. So that's one of the things that should be considered. The second thing is that building costs are higher than people think they are. Because the laws are changing all the time. And there's more things have to be added in to meet the regulations. And labor is scarce. And materials have gone up in price. So people talk about so much per square foot or per so much per square meter. But no two houses are specced the same either. 
So it's like saying how much is a car or how much is a jacket or how much is a shirt. A shirt can be a fiver in the supermarket or it can be 125 euro or pounds if in the boutique three doors up from that. But they're both the same thing, but they're not. They're, they're different versions of the same thing. So it's very important to see how much you can afford to spend on the project. And then if you go to the go back to your architect again with that information they will be aware then they architects usually overstate the building price that has been my experience they they are coming in with figures that are higher than you can actually do with far now i'm not saying that people should disregard architects advice because that is not the case but architects figures tend in my experience have been higher than you can actually get the work done for so perhaps they've put in extra money for spending on finishes or whatever you know a better better levels of, of finish or, or whatever i don't know where their figure comes from but at least when you know what you can afford to spend in the house and you give that information to the architect that will also inform the design process but then you can work with your budget. Yeah. Now, okay. the next thing then that you need is uh, a quantity surveyor or yeah. talk to somebody who can do quantities. Because if the, architect can't the architect won't. Architects don't tend to do that. Some of them will be able to do it in a rough way. But, and some of them might be able to do it in a very detailed way. But in general, they don't. They give this, the set of drawings to a quantity surveyor. And the quantity surveyor prepares a shopping list of all of the materials quantified fully and all of the labour fully quantified that will be required to deliver that house onto the site. Now, a lot of people won't won't engage a quantity surveyor. And the advantage of engaging the quantity surveyor, the quantity surveyor will tell you this is what it's going to cost to put in the foundation. So if you then have, don't have a quantity surveyor and you decide, right, right, you've gone to the architect, you've got the drawings, you've now got planning permission and you're going to build your house and you go to a groundworks contractor and you say, what is it going to cost me to put in the foundation? And the groundworks contractor tells you, say, one and a half times the figure that the uh, quantity surveyor had prepared if you had used him or her. In that scenario, then, you're gone over budget and you haven't got out of the but ground unless yet. Unless you get a few other quotes. Well, unless you get a number of quotes. But if they're all too dear, or if you're going to give it to your brother-in-law anyway, or if you're going to give it to the local guy or whatever, it's important to know what each sum should be so that when you go, at the when, that you'll have enough of money for each stage. Yeah. It's like going to the... Sh- supermarket with 100 pounds or euro in your pocket and deciding that you're going to you need a you have a big shopping list of things you have to get but when you go in you see this fantastic value in something that you hadn't a television reduced from 300 down to 79 and now you've spent the 79 you haven't enough money for the rest of the list so if you don't know what each item is going to cost how do you know it's gone over budget or has come under budget. You might save. All these guys that we were getting the price for the groundworks for might actually be less money than we had intended. In which case, we now have a a surplus even at the start. And we might at the very start decide, rather than keeping that for something in the finishes, we could spend that now to improve the stonework that we were going to put on the outside. Or maybe go from 
uh, fiber cement slates to natural slate or something like that that it isn't always wait until the very end to see if we have anything left over and then we'll get a better quality drive we could maybe get a better quality something else along the way if we knew that we were under budget but if we don't have some sort of figure somewhere we just yeah. keep going until the pot of yeah, money runs out if, to play devil's advocate if you get three quotes because the reality is the quality server is not going to build your foundations right so you you it, Really, the the cost of building the foundations depends on how much you can get it done for. People are charging around the area, so if okay. you get your three quotes, absolutely, fully agreed. If you get your three quotes, you get your three quotes, and then you have to go and see who you choose. But really, the quality surveyor is good for indicative figures. But the reality is, if you yourself do all your quoting yourself, it's a lot of time and effort and energy find so but you can find what the benchmark is yourself you can but what happens when you do all that quoting and getting quotes and everything and you find that this house is now going to cost you one and a half times what you had envisaged yeah but why would that be any different than well the difference is the difference is that you would have known you'd know at the very start and you can take remedial action when you have the house, redesign then. When you yes, ab- absolutely, so or, re-spe- or re-specify yeah. or whatever. Tendering. It's very important for tendering. It's very important for tendering because if the mortgage advisor has told you that the maximum amount of money that you can borrow here is two hundred and fifty thousand, and you have fifty thousand of your own, so we now have a budget of three hundred thousand, and the house ends up not finished at three hundred thousand. Where are you going to find the difference? So, or do you not finish the house? Do you stop at what you're at? And now we have this house, which doesn't have completed rooms or doesn't have the drive done or, or whatever. Whereas if we knew that, right, that the foundations were more expensive than we had thought, the rising walls were more expensive than we had thought, the roof was more expensive than we had thought, you could then say, well, we're not going to have the 25 grand to spend on the kitchen that we thought we had yeah. because we have, we're now gone over someplace else. And... The other where place where a, a quantity surveyor comes in is if there's variations. If there's variations, you cannot go out to the three prices then. Because if you have the guy doing the foundations or doing the wiring or the plumbing or whatever, and you make a change, you say, right, I want another electrical socket here in this room. You're not putting that out to three prices. You're at the mercy of, well, the electrician says, I want 200 euro for that or 200 pounds. Whereas... In the bill of quantities, he had priced them all at 45. If So that's where it comes into it. A, a good QS, unless you're really good, experienced at what you're doing yourself, a good QS will save you his or her fees long before the house is finished. But it's like spending it on an architect or a lot of things. People don't see the value. They see the value when it's too late. But along the way, they don't see the value. Yeah. So as you said there, that in the tendering process, essential to have all your quantities and everything nicely detailed, <coughs> broken down, which the QS will give you a list of. So how do you go about finding that builder? Well, there's a number of ways you can do it. Um, you can do the uh, find out who what builders are operating in the area. If you're from the area, you'll have a knowledge of that yourself. You could put a notice in the paper saying that you were looking for inviting builders to submit expressions of interest for tendering it's a regular enough process Um, the architect 
will know builders. The architect might say, right, there's five builders around the area. I'm going to give it to four of the five of them because I don't like the work of the first one or the whichever one. Or he knows or she knows that that particular builder is very busy at the moment and that it would be likely to quote a very high price so as not to get the job which would distort your three prices thing again. So for tendering to work, um, all parties have to have an equal interest in the job. Otherwise, people put in prices because they don't want to get the job, but they don't want to refuse you from quoting for the job anyway. So that's the the methods that I would use. Talk to the architect, talk to local people around the place, put an ad in the paper if you want to. That is a regular enough process. So then in terms of the compliance issue, so we talked about planning permission already. Um, then there's the build, building regulations you have to comply with and then health and safety. So in terms of building regulations, we have opt-in and opt-out. Can you shed some light on how you comply with that requirement? For once off houses, everybody is pretty much opting out of the design cert, uh, certifier. Service, yeah. <coughs> so the issue with the building regulations is that and this is another thing that I recommend strongly, is a contract. That you have a contract and that you have Tinder documents and that it clearly states on the Tinder documents that everything that is built must be built to the building regulations. So that, and that is for, forms part of the contract. So now if I engage you to build something for me, I have engaged you to build this thing to the building regulations. But the, the architect, if you use an architect will have designed the building to the building regulations anyway. The only issue that he or she might not have control of at that point is the suitability of materials, which will be often a site issue. And it depends on who's supervising the work for you then or if you know it yourself. But <clears throat> even if whether you do or you don't, that's a site issue. But if the window size is too, is, is too small, if we cannot have a proper means of escape from the building, or if the building is designed in a way that is, is in some other way does not comply with the building regulations, that's an issue for the architect. And this is why you use an architect as opposed to going to the kitchen table and drawing it yourself. <laughs> because this is what the architect is trained in and if the architect doesn't know something himself or herself which they often won't they will go and they will find it and they will know that hang on a minute now just before I design that let me see what the what the rules are about that issue whereas when we sit down at the kitchen table with the clean sheets of paper and the light on at night and the ruler and the pencil we don't have the awareness perhaps in the first instance I have seen in, in all of the years that I've been working at, with Self-Build here at these shows, people will come up to me and they'll say, I have just drawn this house myself, what do you think of it? And I instantly look at it and I see several breaches of the building regulations. Now, the planning permission process will usually highlight issues as well, if there are issues there. Downstairs bathroom, for example, wheelchair accessible is absolutely essential. One day I was here at one of these shows and I saw a guy, I've drawn this myself, and he had a toilet under the stairs and, I, and not, no other toilet downstairs. And I said, is this a new building? He said, absolutely, yes, he said. Well, I said, you won't get planning permission for that because it doesn't meet the building regulations in terms of disabled access. And he started pointing out that there was, the toilet was under the stairs and I said, it doesn't matter. There's a minimum requirement where you have to rotate a wheelchair inside and that. It is either that or it isn't. It's not a question of, well, 
if he moves this way or she moves that way or leaves the wheelchair outside or any, it doesn't come into it. So the planning permission process will pick some of them and the architect should design them and the builder himself or herself will know them and the suppliers window manufacturers for example if somebody comes out to measure the site they will ask you about uh, means of escape because there's very strict rules about having an alternative means of escape from a habitable room other than the door through which you came in so there's a number of checks and balances there which will where the building regulations um, can be if there are any possible issues that can be found out. The, the only thing is that when the person who knows nothing about it gets the sheet of paper and designs a three-storey building or decides I'm going to actually build a few apartments there or something, you know, then it becomes a major problem. But for the majority of people working in the, in the industry who are working in the industry on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or whatever, they are pretty much aware of the building regulations of their own trade. The electrician, for example, has to issue a cert at the end, a cert of compliance. So it's he won't get, get more work if he issues certs of compliance for something that doesn't comply. Yeah, very plus, well regulated. plus, if there was a fire or something like that, there was an electrical fault, yeah. he could be chased because he has put his name on the cert. Yeah. So there, there is a certain amount of regulation. Yeah, because the planners, I suppose, they'll give you planning permission and they'll say it is subject to complying with the building regulations, but they kind of absolve themselves because it's not really their job to enforce compliance with building regulations. It's when you upload your drawings onto that building control management system that you're meant to upload draw. It's a, it's kind of the owner. It, all the onus is on the owner to make sure that that the owner or his his or her agents or their agents yes <laughs> which <laughs> is spies. brings me back to the architect again of course exactly <coughs> and that those drawings that you upload are compliant with the building regulations but the problem is they're not really checked are they when they're uploaded on that building well control? if the architect uploads them it's in the architect's interest to make sure that they comply and even if they don't comply, if something doesn't comply, it slips through. A competent builder will spot it because he or she has been building for years and they will have the experience and the knowledge. Yeah. And it's when you go to do it with direct labor that where who's responsible then? You get the local fellow who's just not working that week to do X, Y or Z or whatever. He just does it without the training in it again or whatever. Whereas a, if you engage a builder the builder has been through this before yeah going, going back to regulations and building regulations again yep. one of the issues there that we just didn't dwell on is the uh whole area around energy so it's insulation it's uh power consumed or energy consumed in the house any energy generated in the house and the guy drawing at the kitchen table in his evening after he's come home from work in wherever he's been working has no knowledge of that. And this goes back again to why you should have a properly trained architect. Yeah. Maybe 20 years ago you didn't need that, or 30 years ago. Or, you know, you could argue that none of the neighbours used it or anything. But now we're in 2020. It's a different world. The regulations are, ex are complex and many. And it tests the professionals to keep up with them. But at least the professionals know that they're out there and that there's a regulation for this, and there's a regulation for that, and there's a regulation for the other, that the guy drawing the thing on the sheet of paper does. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the south, you have to put the mechanical ventilation, for example, in, a, in all new houses, pretty much. It's pretty much Not mad. necessarily, but... Pretty much, really. De facto, okay. <laughs> Dubious <laughs> on the point. But like even well, you, the have to, you have to achieve, to you have to achieve a certain set of results. How yes. you achieve the set of results... Yeah. Is uh, there yeah. are options within yeah, but that? You need, yeah, but you need to have an airtight house, and you know you're you're likely to get a really good airtight rating. And if you have a really good airtight rating, you pretty much need mechanical ventilation. So no, airtightness is about unwanted drafts. Yeah, it's not about anything other than that. It's about all of the holes that were there in the building process mm-hmm. because of sloppy processes. Mm-hmm. It's about the electrician using a 75 millimeter drill when he only needed to put a 10 mil wire out through the external envelope of the house it's about the plumber putting out a pipe from the kitchen sink and only drilling the, the hole the size of the pipe as opposed to knocking out a block with a lump hammer or something like that air tightness is about so much about building practice as opposed to which material you use or whatever that's secondary it's about how well it's put together Yes. More than anything else. But once your house is really airtight, you do need to ventilate it. But you can, vent- you can ventilate it any way you like. Yeah, but if you start putting holes in the wall to ventilate it, then you need loads of holes in the walls, and it kind but of defeats the what purpose of what does mecha- the plumber. What does, <laughs> mechanical, in the wall. <laughs> what does hit mechanical ventilation do? Is it not holes in the wall as well? Well, no. It is. No, it it's isn't. holes somewhere well, that holes caused... The seat. No, but from your roof... It brings the air from there, from one hole, instead of like putting holes all over the house. The rest of the house is. Well, anyway, that's another anyway. day. <laughs> <laughs> the design aspect is what what I was trying to get. I, at. I know the, the, the one thing, for example, that needs to be factored in of where all those ducks are. Uh, but go. but everything needs to be factored in. Yeah. And the the problem I have is that people make set assumptions. Well, we have to have this. Or we have to have that, like you've said about we have to have mechanical well, ventilation. Kind of I'm not. I'm not picking on you now. You can. <laughs> well, I'm not. No, <laughs> but I. I just think that we should go at this with an open mind. 
what are the options here? Yeah. How can we do this? Because that would be ideal, but the often regulations have tightened up so much. Yes, but there are still options. ways of achieving what it is you want to achieve. There are options to within that. To a certain extent, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are. It's true, but um, less and less, I would argue. So how do you ensure quality control? Would you have a project manager on site, yet another professional to pay? But um, Okay, well, it depends, first of all, who's building the house, whether it's a main contractor that's building it or if it's a team of subcontractors. If it's a main contractor, all of the issues around quality are the responsibility of the main contractor. And you have only one person to deal with as the client. You just say, right, I'm not happy with the way that's done or is this the right way to do this? Or if there's something not done right, the, the main contractor cannot say, well, I, I didn't do that. He mightn't personally have done it, but somebody that's working for him or her has done it and he carries responsibility for that. So if you get a good builder, you're in with a good chance for a start. You can get a project a somebody, to, project manager or somebody to supervise that, but it's another layer of money. It's more money. Yeah. It's more money. I would rather spend the money with the architect and with the QS and with having insurance and a structural warranty on what I'm doing. Yeah, because the structural warranty, you have inspections through that. Absolutely. Yes. You have inspections. And most people don't have a structural warranty. If they work... They, oh, say, sorry, it's wrong to say that. If they, if they employ a main contractor and the main contractor has a warranty, is a subscriber to an association which gives a warranty on his work, the client can end up with a warranty that way. Whereas... If you're getting the work done yourself, or if you have any doubt, if you buy a structural warranty and contact the insurance company that provides that early enough in the process, they will send out an engineer who will supervise the work at various stages along the way to satisfy themselves. that. And while they don't guarantee that it is an exhaustive list, which it isn't, it cannot be, unless they're there every day, but... The inspections are carried out at key points along the way and it minimises the risk of structural defects. Uh, but the air tightness test is one thing that will give you a very good idea of building practices and building methods. And then the electrician has to sign off on the electrics. And timber work and things like that are very much a visual thing. So, But you would still get an engineer even if you don't get a warranty. You'd... You wouldn't just rely on the builder to for quality control, would no, you? No, but if they, you you could rely on the architect to keep and to, touch, to do the job of to, to yeah. inspecting <coughs> yeah, the, absolutely. the works. Yeah, but the architects building. usually are they're like us all. They want an easy life, quiet life, and they will normally, when they're sin if if you go through the architect to find a builder, they will f might not necessarily take the guy with the lowest price. But the, the tinder pool that they will have will be of people who will have done good quality work that they don't have had grief over, over and over again. Of it's course, when you yeah. come from a different place into an area where you know nobody that it becomes tricky. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you find the architect and the architect will find the builder and the builder will find the subcontractors, whatever. You get your structural warranty and your bit of insurance yourself and you have a happy life, <laughs> Astrid. <laughs>
like you have. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Very easy life. The perfect life. Exactly. Um, so then, no building control. Don't have to worry about that in the south. Well, but in, in the north. In the north, there's a brilliant system of building control. Now, it's not. It's. It's not the same as it is in mainland UK. In mainland UK, it's not near as thorough as it is in the north. Well, mainland UK, it's a bit like the south, where I think they have different building control agencies that are vetted, but it's basically a free market, so you can pick and yeah. choose whoever you yeah. want. Yeah. But building control in Northern Ireland, again, who don't take responsibility, I think. They don't take full responsibility for the build quality. If they come out and inspect something, I don't think that gives you an absolute guarantee or they don't imply a full guarantee that everything is right but it implies but they inspect the site they inspect it and they and they ask for things to be changed if absolutely not right. yeah i don't think there's a guarantee with it though At anyway the and there's a sort of compliance there's a sort of compliance which, building regs only. which is a different thing yeah yeah but um yeah in the south that doesn't exist the the, the process in the south is that the uh, architect our engineer certifies that the work is done to the proper standard at the end. And the mortgage company are going to look for that as well so yeah. that they can sell if they have to foreclose. Right. And then um, health and safety. So that's another kind of, that's the third. Absolutely. Prong. Well, that the law and the, the whole, the, the culture, more so than the law, has changed dramatically in that in the last number of years. Um, once you purchase a site... You have a responsibility for what happens on that site. So if somebody comes in and decides they want to have a look at what you're going to do or whatever, and they slip or fall and they bring a claim, they will bring that claim against the builder, if there's a builder on site, and usually also against the site owner in the hope, the ultimate hope, that one of the two of them or both of them will pay damages for whatever loss has been incurred. So... Health and safety and the whole issue around health and safety is a huge thing. It's no longer a defence to say, well, he or she shouldn't have been there. Or, I didn't know that your dog was going to wander onto my site or whatever. So people should, for the small amount that it would cost them, have self-built insurance from the minute they take possession of the site. From the minute that they actually are legally the owners of the site. And as well as the builder's insurance, because that covers them for any time the builder can say, well, I've moved off site now or whatever. There's no, mm -hmm. there's peace of mind. And again, it's another thing that people don't maybe see. But there's a myriad of regulations in relation to health and safety. Well, the main one, isn't it? It's the project supervisor design construction stage. stage. And then construction Trans stage. Project so supervisor construction stage. Yeah. And so you, you need, need two to sets of reports. You, you do. And you need to lodge the them before you start work. Because and if that's both in the north and south. Yes, yeah. yes, and that's very, very important. And people learn to... If you ask anybody that's building a house who's the design supervisor, which is a poor name, actually. I don't like the names that they use because I think the title of it is wrong. I think the title of it is wrong completely. I think it should be health and safety supervisor design stage, health and safety supervisor construction stage. And they don't use the words health and safety into it. They just say project, yeah. It's yeah. project, yeah. which is a different is a different meaning to the person who isn't involved in the language of this every day of the week. But that's essentially what it is. And if you, I've seen cases in the courts and reported in the papers where uh, companies have been fined vast sums and individuals have been fined vast sums 
for failing to appoint a project supervisor construction stage. And at the you design stage, <coughs> your architect can put together that report. They yeah. will, but only it is an add-on. And it it's, costs money. It costs money, but they will usually do it. But if they don't offer to do it, it's the onus has to be on the client to ask them, will they do that? Yeah. And what you're hoping to do is that they'll throw that in for their fee. But it's somebody has to do it. Yep. And if it's not done, the onus falls back on the client, who is the owner of the, of the land and who is having all this done. It's their responsibility to make sure that it is. And at the construction stage, then that's another argument to hire a builder because the builder Absolutely. then will have to do it. Absolutely. Now, you can, as an individual, become the design... Uh, sorry, the project supervisor construction stage. Mm -hmm. You can be that person yourself. You don't have to employ the builder. But once you lodge that forum and you are naming yourself as effectively as the builder, even though you're employing various subcontracts to do it, you might never take a shovel or a hammer or anything in your hand, but you have taken full responsibility at that stage. So it's important yep. that you know what you're about. You're paying your architect or your engineer to certify. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And all that should be established at the start mm. with the architect. What are we getting here? Are you going to act as project supervisor design stage? Are you going to act as project supervisor construction stage? The architect is going to say, I am not going to do that. Uh, yeah, for but sure. at least now we know, yeah. as opposed to an expectation that he or she was. Are you going to help me find a contractor or a team of subcontractors? Are you going to do supervision from me? Are you going to do certification at the end so you mentioned contracts with the builder obviously so there are standard contracts you can get from various bodies i presume so that's ones you should probably go for is just a standard contract i'd say with the builder but with the architect would you put in place a contract as well okay to set those things let's up? reverse back first there a minute because you brushed very much the whole business of the contract with the builder very quickly you moved on from yes, that much exactly. happier much happier than my <laughs> much happier than i would be comfortable with in the south the construction industry federation which is one of the representative bodies of builders and the incorporated law society of ireland which is one of the bodies or the main body for the legal profession have got together and drawn up a standard contract a form of building contract between contractor and client. From what I've seen of it, it weighs very heavily in favour of the contractor. One of the things that everybody should always do is get independent legal advice. If you go to a solicitor for something and you ask them to produce a contract for you for anything, the sale of something or the purchase of something, whatever it is, they will always put a, a, a paragraph at the end that they before the person signs, the other person signs, the other party to the contract signs this, that they should seek independent legal advice. So the contractor, if you employ a, employ a contractor, the contractor will nine times out of ten, if you ask about a contract, will search in the dash of the van or the jeep and dust out a standard contract that he or she used. There was one from the IRAI, isn't there one? There is. Standard builder's contract that's. Seek more independent legal advice. Yeah. Do not just take the contract yes. okay. from the other side, whoever they are, whether yeah, it is the definitely. builder that has it or whoever, get that, bring it to your own solicitor yeah. and say, 
is but it okay? There's also an issue with uh, drafting your own contracts and adding and removing clauses from standard contracts. If things do go wrong in the courts, it's, it seems that, isn't it the case that it's better just to have a standard contract than having one that's... The standard contract is only going to become, our, our contracts in general are only going to be fully useful if you have a proper set of specifications for the work. Mm-hmm. I saw a court case one time where a builder brought a client to court to seek the final stage payment, the completion payment, which he had not received from the client. And separately, the client had brought an action against the builder for poor workmanship. And when I heard this was in the court, I said, I'm going to go and see how this plays out. Did you go to court? I went and sat in the court and spent the day in the court with this. And... During the many downtimes that she took, the judge, I chatted with her. With the judge? With the judge. Yeah. During her, her downtime. <laughs> she took numerous breaks. And as she, she didn't say it, but she implied it, and I knew exactly what it was. She was giving them a chance to settle this themselves. Yeah. Because she had her mind made up. She had her mind made up. And her mind was made up to the point that the builder was 100% in the right and the client was 100% in the wrong on a simple point the client did not supply the builder with a full set of specifications he or she in this case it was a couple they had supplied the builder with a drawing of the house that a friend of theirs had drawn I remember talking to the judge and but the judge... The builder should be asking for construction drawings as well, shouldn't Well, there was enough information there to draw it. But there was no information about standards of acceptable tolerances or anything like that. Yeah. And there was no... Nowhere did it, was it written in the documents that all of this work has to meet the building regulations. Well, it has to legally, doesn't it? Well... You can't just build something that's not so if a wall isn't isn't plumb how much off plumb has it to be before we have to take it down tolerances all that sort of thing and they're covered by british standards i don't know if they are anymore because now that the uk is out of the eu Uh, yeah but they all those british standards i think were uh, were converted into european standards yeah so there are there are there there are documents there yeah which state all of that yeah and none of that was on the tinder documents the tinder documents consisted of a drawing and the the judge I was chatting with the judge and the judge said the builder could legally could legitimately didn't choose the word legally could legitimately argue that because this amount of information was written on it this was all that was needed whereas if the guy had put nothing on it and said it must meet this standard and this standard and this standard the thing had flipped completely but they settled it anyway in the finish but they fell out and they were all neighbours and friends and everything but the builder played a blinder in the court he was like something you'd see on television he took the they had produced a a metre long spirit level and there was a photograph produced in the court of a metre long spirit level on a wall and a hand had been able to go in behind the spirit level because of the bow that was in the wall ouch there was that much of a bow in the wall which is clearly not an acceptable standard but the judge went along and took the hand of the clerk of the court and held it her hand beside his and asked 
which thickness of a hand is an acceptable amount? And how do I know that photograph came from that house anyway? So it was a very entertaining yeah. process. <laughs> but this is, the, and the problem with this is that if you're the client and you lose, you're paying for both sides of this entertainment. Yeah. So that's why you need to arm yourself with the contract with the builder. And if the con builder produces it, go to your own legal people and say to them, right, this is the contract that has been produced by the builder. Is this a sa safe document for me to sign? Yeah. And if your solicitor advises you then it is, then you should be okay. Um, so then the main cost components of a build, where you're going to be spending the, your money? The cost components of the build are the site, <laughs> materials, yeah. labor, plant and equipment, and time. I suppose the construction aspect is actually not that much, is it? To actually build the house. It's all the finishes that that cost a lot oh, absolutely the structure yeah the structure, the structure is itself is always quite cheap actually isn't it's, it, it is yeah it is yeah it's relatively cheap it's not i wouldn't use the word cheap now <laughs> it's relatively <laughs> cheap <laughs> it is relatively cheap and it's the second fixing thing in the finishes and that yeah. you know and people the usually windows. tell you yeah people tell you when they have the walls up and the roof on it you've only started now yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah pretty much yeah. your kitchen and everything else now a lot of builders will sort out problems anyway. And the industry has been demonized unfairly to a large degree, I think, because majority of builders want to do the thing right because they don't want to be coming back. They don't want to going into the court proving that they were right because even if they win, there's a nuisance factor while they're there. There's the worry about it up to the point of the case. Money, well, yeah, and they have to put money up front and there's the risk of it not going their way and they're not out doing whatever it is that they do, building or whatever while they're dragged through this court case so how, how so then you would get obviously so you need a contract regardless let's say we have a contract in place and part of that contract you would expect would have um, a snag list well and, it would and you'd retain money before everything is all finished. it would have a list of terms and conditions and what and a list of the tinder drawings all of the documents that made up the tinder package um, and it would have uh, then the payment schedule and it would have the whole thing that you're talking about, about retention. It would also have the um, penalties for both sides for breach of the contract. So in the case of the builder, um, that might be poor workmanship or disappearing for a long period of time. In the case of the client, it might be late payment or non-payment or part payment or massive amount of changes and still expect the contractor to do the work for the same amount so all of that is set out in the contract i'm not going to go through the contract no, fully no, no. because you yeah. you really you should have representatives of yeah. the law society but dis dis <laughs> describing the whole business of the contract but but how about direct labor then uh, that's a minefield. That is a minefield. There's field. not a hope you're going to get your electrician to sign a contract no no that's a minefield you're just at the mercy of that you just have to wing it okay there's no, there's, there's no practical way around that. Okay. The contractor, if you appoint a main contractor and you insist that a contract has to be signed, that is not going to deter the main contractor if he or she wants the job. If you're getting a guy to wheel out all of the rubble that has been generated and you're giving him X amount in the evening for doing the work and you produce a contract to him, <laughs> What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's you know, you're completely at the mercy of that. But it's, it's a, 
a complex process, but there's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of knowledge. Mr. Google? <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't I'm rely. Sure. On, I wouldn't I'm rely on Google again. entirely. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Fine company, Google, but I wouldn't. You sure? I wouldn't refer use them as my safety net or my implied warranty or anything like that. Any tips? We major tips for self builders to know about that we didn't uh, touch upon. Well, the the only major tips for self builders would be that uh, don't overreact. Um, I see thousands of house plans every year, and there is huge amounts of wasted space in the houses and what I mean how I define a wasted space is when I ask them what is that space there for they come up with a justification for it being there based on well we'll basically we'll find something to put there rather than that thing being on the list and them needing space for it in the first place and what tends to happen nowadays is that we build two story houses we build them with two or three family stroke sitting rooms in the houses. There's often a, a lounge, a family room and a snug, right? They're all downstairs. Then there's a study which can double up as a playroom or a home office or whatever. <clears throat> we need a plant room. We have this massive kitchen dining area. You would think that we were going to feed... Uh, all of the people that were going to the All Ireland final. (laughs) So that gives us a footprint then of whatever square meters. So then, when we go to the next floor, we have that footprint there, and we end up with these bedrooms that are that would nearly solve the housing crisis in Dublin with (laughs) some of the rooms that are there. And I don't want I don't want to belittle the housing crisis in Dublin, but they're and the only reason that they're so huge is because the footprint below was so huge. So the problem now has gone upstairs and we have these rooms that are bigger than they need to be and then people will tell you oh we will find something to put there which is no reason for it to be there. Yeah. So that comes down again to good quality design. Yeah, yeah, and it saves you money. Every square meter costs Absolutely. money. It costs but you money. So right. what's the average you're seeing? Three hundred square meter? Or yeah. Am I exaggerating? No, you're not. Well, you are a little bit. Yeah, two eighty, two eighty. That really? Can, that yeah, high? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Some of the more. I saw one there today, three seventy or something, and they were scaled back from uh, five hundred, which they went for first. Right. Okay. And what would you say for a family of four or five? Okay. Well, a three-bed semi-detached house in any estate in any town in Ireland is about 90 square meters. Yeah, but people build so they're not living in a a 90 square meters. A four-bed is about 100 square meters. Now, I know that they are built for builders and for property developers not rooms. so much for people to live in With that's a that's room, a byproduct you know that's a byproduct room. of it i accept that yeah, okay. but if we have a four bed house in 100 square meters and then we go and we've lived in that for a while and we now decide we're going to build our own we don't need 300 square meters in a four bed house yeah i find these houses are f- fantastic sized houses great space everywhere and everything and the rooms are huge and there's four bedrooms in the house. Now, if that land was in a town or if it was a property developer, he or she would get three houses in the same amount of space. So we don't need to overreact. We don't need to over... And that is 
tends to be what has happened that the house have just got bigger and bigger and bigger and this is why I say at the thing that I can save you thousands this is always my my pitch I can save you thousands and I can save you thousands of one of the ways <laughs> one of the ways that I can do it is by showing you that you don't need that yeah. and you don't need yeah. that space there and you don't need that space there and the problem with those things is it's whatever it is per square meter to build them then you have to insure them you have the maintenance of them you have the heating of them and possibly property tax on them or whatever down the road. So you have all this thing. And the thing about the house that is 300 square meters is if you go to sell it, if you go to sell that house, the person who wants a 300 square meter house wants to design it themselves. So the amount of people, the loads of people who want a 300 square meter house, but the loads of people... The amount of people that would want your 300 square meter house designed by you, for you, not by you, for you, in the location that you are, is an awful lot smaller. Because the one who has the money to do that wants to design their own. Whereas if you have the three bed semi in the town or the four bed semi in the town, they're not, at the, they're not bespoke houses. And the people that are buying them are not looking for bespoke houses. They just want a house. So this is a three bed, it's a left or a right in the block or whatever it is or it's looking this way or looking that way or I can buy it in that estate in that town or that estate over there in that town and there's a whole pool of movement in that there's first time buyers there's investment people there's renters there's property ladder there's all of that but you go and you build a 350 square meter house the yeah. one who wants that wants their own and they want to design it themselves so you're, you're they'll either end up buying it for a knockdown price or they'll build their own. Yeah. Knock down yours and yeah. build their own. Okay. Any other tips? Don't compromise on your core values. Yeah, Whatever it is, yeah. is, what this is, is people call them houses, but they're not really. They're living spaces is what they are. And why I do this and why I got up at quarter to five this morning to leave Mayo to come up here is that I passionately believe that people should live in houses that contribute positively all of the time to their lives that they're not a major financial drain that they're spending all of their life working for this house and by the time they have finished finally paying for the house the best of their life is gone or I think that people should never be living in houses that they say well if we were building it again we would do this different and we would do this different and we would do this different and to them people I say the reason you ended up with that is you didn't put enough thought process into this so when you get your plans don't first of all do the drawing give it the list to the architect when they come back then there's a euphoric feeling there's a feeling of unbelievable emotion because it's the first time you see any realisation of your dream. And you have to wait until that euphoric feeling is gone and then go in with the microscope and examine this house thoroughly. Is this going to work for our needs? And it's if you do that and do that thoroughly under all of the different things like light and space and movement and relationship of rooms to one another and traffic in the house and energy consumption and path of the sun and all of those things if you do that whatever changes you make then will benefit you hugely but if something doesn't feel right it never will feel right and there might be minor things that you cannot really change that well you can but the the, the, the process of changing them is so huge that you decide i'm not going to do that it might be 
a window in a particular place or might be something. I don't know what. I cannot think of a, a, a typical example. But whatever it is, you might say, well, okay, that's not ideal, but I can live with that. And from that point on, make your peace with it. Never mention that again. Never bring that up in conversation again. Never go saying, well, I, that window is still annoying me. You just have to say, right, I cannot change that in the context of the whole thing. I'm going to live with that and leave it. Or change it if or if, change if it. Abs- have, if abs- you're abs- happy yes, absolutely. But that, but the few things the few things that might yeah. be little things that you cannot change, yeah. make your peace with them then and move on. Yeah. But yeah. don't live don't, don't move into the house with regret. Because the regret will only magnify. Well, but the house should be right. And this is where uh, the list, the good design and the proper interrogation of the house comes in. And I regularly hear people saying you have to build three houses to get it right. What a thing to say. Who can afford to do that? And anyway, if you've got two wrong, what makes you think you're going to get the next one right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how about the looks of the house then? Do you oh, totally, you unim- totally it's unimportant. It's not important. It's how it works inside. It's how it works inside. We live yeah. in the inside. Yeah, but every time you drive up to your house, shouldn't it make you happy to see it as opposed to... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I suppose, yeah, but like pretty much any internal design that you are happy with, you can you can put elevations on that. I mean, th- there's a lot of things you can do elevations-wise that aren't going to impact the inside at all. Yes, so once right. you get the inside right, it's a question then of finding an elevation that you like to drive up to, like you said. Yes. But on the other hand, um, when you drive up to your door where you live now at the moment, wherever that is, or whatever, whether you drive up or walk up or whatever, I bet if I walk up to that, I will notice something that has been there that you don't notice at all because you're so used to coming in and out. So whatever the elevations are, you'll get used to them. <laughs> you don't. In fact, in, in fact, not only that, you won't even see them. Yeah. The space inside, the space yeah. inside. It should complement our living completely. It should ha- we should have a, a positive feeling. There should be a positive energy and dynamic in the house because of the design. For free one-to-one advice about building and home improving and to get quotes from the companies who will turn your dream into reality, come along to any of the Self-Build Live events. The show is in Belfast every February, in Dublin every September and in Cork every November. Subscribe to Self Build Magazine. Just log on to selfbuild.ie. It's just four euro fifty or three pound ninety every quarter, delivered straight to your door. And if you like us, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.